Punky Brewster won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Lethal, lethal Weapon. weapon. That's the uh, saxophone. Is that better? <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Great soundtrack for Lethal Weapon. Ex- yeah. Um, I'm back when Eric Clapton was sane. Oh, yeah. Before he went crazy. Yep. And, well, yeah. there was a lot of people that were saner back then. Uh, in fact, they were, involved they in were all movie. involved in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a simpler time when things weren't as crazy. Yeah, yeah. Take yourself back to 1987. Ooh. Yeah, ooh. In a blow to burgeoning incels nationwide on May 4th, the Supreme Court rules that Rotary Clubs must admit women. Oh, man. What a day. What a day. Poor boys. You know, so many people got that marked on their calendar. Oh, it's the day the ru- everything was ruined. You know, I would... Uh... Hazard to guess that if you ask 10 people today what a Rotary Club is, 10 people would say, yeah. I have no idea. Uh, I am one of the people that thought Rotary Clubs is only old women, <laughs> so I didn't even know that Do was Do you a know thing. what a Rotary Club is? Uh, apparently not. A Rotary Club is where people meet or met yeah. to learn how to dial Rotary phones. Very okay, quickly. all right. Because if you remember, <laughs> before, you know, Button phones. There was a yeah, the rotary. Yeah, man, I tell you, if I if I met somebody back then when those, when we had that phone, and they had too many nines in their number, I wouldn't no. be friends with them because <laughs> half your day would be yeah. Uh, in January, Prozac is put on the worldwide market despite lacking approval from the U.S. FDA. Just in time for those poor men who are sad <laughs> about the Rotary Club. Yeah. Letting women in, they can get on the prosy and feel a little bit better. 30-something debuts on ABC and departs from typical dramas featuring analytical, self-absorbed baby boomer characters, which kind of becomes all of them. Ah, oh, man, we watched that in college. Yeah. And I was like, ah, they're so old. Yeah, I <laughs> I was too young for this, and I definitely thought they were too oh, old. Man. I was like, why do I care about their problems? It was, yeah. I had a, one of my roommates in college was obsessed with that show. Oh, so really? we watched that. Yeah, he loved it. It explored things that other dramas didn't, like infidelity right. and, okay. and, and being unhappy in marriage and, and how to balance the work-life load of being a yuppie and a buppy and a big and a sloppy juppie. So what were dramas before that? Did they, was it like, oh, you burned the cake? Dramas so were like, you? no, dramas were like <laughs> Dallas, where it was a bunch of family members it shooting. Was, somebody shoots JR. I see. So 30-something was more, yes. more real. Dynasty. It was more real. Yes, yeah. it was less. Not about. It wasn't about a bunch of rich people in a family. Not rich baby boomers. <laughs> murder each other. And sleep with each other. Uh, on March 6th, Lethal Weapon premieres at number one in the box office. <laughs> Uh, so Shane Black, he wrote Luther Weapon. He was fresh out of from graduating at uh, UCLA. He wrote the screenplay in mid-1985. Yes. He wanted to write an urban western inspired by Dirty Harry, where a violent character reviled for what he did, what he is capable of, and the things he believed in is eventually recruited for being the one that could solve the problem. Uh, I love him. Yeah, he's he, great. He, he he's epitomized great. the decade. Like he, he created... The buddy film, he created, you know, the genre that we all see today. So he wanted the protagonist in this script to be every men policeman. In fact, he said that they would be, quote, Guys shuffling in a town like Los Angeles searching for something noble as justice when they're just guys in Washington Warren suits seeking a paycheck. Which I guess eventually was Danny Glover, but not really. I wouldn't call 
uh, Mel Gibson in this movie a, a guy shuffling around in a worn suit? No, no, <laughs> not at all. And, and even you know Danny Glover. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. There were no paunches on those <laughs> gentlemen. They had six packs. That's true. Uh, the Danny first... Glover looked great. He was. He looked great. Yeah, man, for being fifty. <laughs> Makes me sad. The first draft of the script was very different and much darker than the final final film. Uh, it was 140 pages long, and both the plot and the characters were different, and action scenes were much bigger. The ending of the script contained a chase scene with helicopters and a trailer truck full of cocaine exploding over the Hollywood Hills with cocaine snowing over the Hollywood sign. That is so Shane Black. And I'm so <laughs> surprised it wasn't in a movie. It went, and the weather outside is And everybody's like, and the kids are like, tongue out and they're like no no put your tongues in damn it <laughs> uh well shane black to his credit he hated this first draft and he initially discarded it uh but then later picked up and rewrote it in, into new drafts and, and what we're eventually see that's why shane black is successful yeah because if you don't hate your first draft yeah you, you this is the thing you love your first draft when you're writing it and yeah, yeah. you love it when you finish it and then you put it away for like three days, and then you read it, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> but hopefully, there's enough in it. Like I've, I've, my most of my second drafts, there's maybe like ten to fifteen percent salvageable. Yeah, yeah. You know, but at least it gets you on the right track. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I think yeah, this guy's got it going. <laughs> uh, so his agent sent Lethal Weapon script to various studios and was reje- rejected by everyone until Warner Brothers executive Mark Canton took a liking to it. He brought along producer Joel Silver, who loved the story, and he worked with Black to further develop the script, and they paid him a quarter million dollars for it. Oh, yeah. This was the time when studios, especially Silver, man. Yeah. A lot of people don't really remember Joel Silver, but Joel Silver produced everything yeah. in the 80s, every action thing. And he forged these relationships. He worked with Donner. He worked mm-hmm. with Black. He wasn't an easy guy to work with. No, no. I met him several times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he's a yeller. He's a screamy, screamy demi. <laughs> but he also is a great businessman. Yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, a lot of those guys are prickly pears, but they do know how to get stuff done. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think it was wasn't it Shane Black who was the first writer to be paid seven figures for one of his scripts. Yeah, yeah. This was the time yeah. when people were just blowing up, and they're like, so the, the writer. This was yeah. the time where the writer was king. It was yep. a very small, tiny window <laughs> yeah. in, in Hollywood history Spons. where the writer had mm. a moment, and there were you know they were drop. It was another prestige thing. It's like okay, we're gonna drop. Yeah. You dropped a million on a script. We're dropping two million on a yeah, script. Yeah, exactly. And then somebody dropped two and a half million on a script. That movie bombed, and people are like, we're putting the writers well, back in the drawers. I'm pretty sure the seven figures he got paid for was for Last, last Action Hero. Yeah, that, that was also the well. end of the yeah, yeah. Of, of the honeymoon or whatever, <laughs> of the, the, yeah. that period of raining money down. So Leonard Nimoy was actually one of the choices considered for directing, but he didn't feel comfortable doing action movies, and he was working on Three Men and a Baby at the time. Very different. So movie. he said no. Yeah. No action sequences and well, three men and a baby. I mean, not there's not a lot of gunplay. <laughs> no, no. So they asked Richard Donner to direct because he did Superman and everyone loved him. And ah. he loved the script, but he wanted some changes. So he brought in uh, writer Jeffrey Bohm to do some uncredited rewrites on Black's script after he found parts of it to be too dark. Richard Donner, the thing about him that's so great, big old bear of a man, mm-hmm. you know, one of the last kind of Hollywood he men, you know. But directors, but also 
he and his wife were very socially conscious. Mm-hmm. They were putting stuff in their movies, messages and stuff in their movies before anybody else did. And he was a funny as hell guy. Oh, yeah. And that's why he wanted to bring this in. In the hands of a different director, yeah. these movies yeah. wouldn't have been – they wouldn't have – he was a huge Looney Tunes fan. So was right. Mel Gibson and, and, uh, and the Stooges, the three Stooges. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just evident in the movie. Yeah. Right. But, but that – in the hands of another director, in a, in a Nimoy, or in another director, yeah, you wouldn't have had the same humor because that's yeah. what he brought out of it, and that's why he brought his buddy in. It was kind of like, let's lighten this up, man. Yeah, you don't need yeah. two hours of just dark. You no, can have it would have dark, been, oh, it but you got to balance much. it with light. Yeah, you got to yeah. have the fun Family Guy balanced with the suicidal psycho case, <laughs> you know. And the suicidal psycho case, he just needs a buddy. Yeah, you know. That's one of the very first things I learned in theater school was a great directing teacher. He was like, drama, you have to have the light moments. You have to. Because otherwise then the dark moments are just not dark. They're just normal. You need balance. or You can't just relentlessly beat somebody over the head with sadness. Uh, Yeah, we've seen plenty of those movies. (laughs) Yeah. Well, look, I mean, even Schindler's List has a couple of moments of – Levity. I'm not going to say funny, but levity. levity. Yeah, yeah. You you know, it's not – we're just not capable of watching no. something. It's just dark and sad. Yeah, I guess we are, but it's just anyway. Yeah, but, I mean, but then you're, you've got like they'd be like Solaris. <laughs> it's just Richard sad. Donner knew how to make the balance. Yeah, and he 100%. knew, and 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 that's a that's the thing about this uh, is it got the balance perfect. Right, right, and a lot of that was because of Jeffrey Bohm. Now I did not know who Jeffrey Bohm was, and oh, God man. knows I should know who yeah. Jeffrey Bohm was yeah. because not only did he rewrite this movie, but he rewrote a rejected script of Shane Black and Warren Murphy's for the second movie. He wrote the script for the third Lethal Weapon movie, and he actually did an unused draft for the fourth film. Second uh, one, awesome. Yeah. Third one, not so much. Fourth yeah. one, good. But Jeffrey Bohm also wrote The Dead Zone, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, nice. Inner Space, and The Lost Boys. Great. I, which is a – oh, my God. It's like how do I not know who this guy is? Yeah. In fact, his cumulative gross of all his movies is over a billion dollars. Yeah. It's crazy that he's not more of a household name. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. People don't know writers. I writers know, are the unsung sad. heroes of the biz. Unless there's very few Shane Blacks out there that everybody knows who he is. Yeah, that's true. You know, there's not a lot of rock star writers. You know, no, unfortunately. it's unfortunate. It's so sad. Uh, okay, so can I, can I just take yeah. – because we're talking about crime. I just – I have to – Just this is so way off the topic, but it will only take a second because this is on my mind. All right, I've been watching that NBC – or ABC crime documentary about serial killers mm-hmm. in the 70s in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Okay. You know, cops. That's probably why it's on my mind because it's, again, L.A. cops. Like these yeah. guys are L.A. cops. Well, they're, they're talking about all these different serial killers that are working at the same time. And one of the guys that they're – Going after is Rodney Alcala, who is the dating game killer. You know, he killed a lot of people. He was a photographer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wait, and wasn't Richard Ramirez on dating game? T- oh, anyway, but, sorry. But what, here's yeah. the thing. So I'm watching it. I'm watching this thing, and they show the clips of him on the dating game. Okay. He's a creeper. He won. <laughs> okay? He won. <laughs> now, you're the other two guys. Yeah. And, you know, the news breaks or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, I'm such a loser. That they picked a serial killer over me. Yeah. You, that's going to, like... Well, but I mean, they didn't know that at the time. Oh, they knew. Ugh. Oh, they knew. And uh, <laughs> so it's just going to haunt him. Well, the woman didn't know because It's not good for your confidence, him. Adam. They, well, they I, probably never dated again. I, probably not. Just like Riggs never dated again on Lethal Weapon after his wife died. Go ahead, please. 
<laughs> so, speaking of Riggs, uh, Richard Donner, he had finished Lady Hawk, and he was really interested in working with Mel Gibson. Uh, Mel Gibson had done strange connection. Things. Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, I don't, for some reason, that made him think of Mel Gibson. Was it? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Matthew is... Broderick isn't much of a Gibson type. No. Oh, he, maybe he thought Hawk. that. Maybe the, he thought the movie would be better if it was Mel Gibson yeah, and maybe. not. <laughs> well, wait. No, it was Rooker Hauer, right? That was the the other. I think so. He it was, was Rooker Hauer and no, no, he was the good guy. I know. I because there have was not Lady, Lady there was, Hawk. Okay. forever. So Lady Hawk is Michelle Pfeiffer. Is a lady that turns into a hawk, right? At night, oh, right. And then Rucker Howard's and the guy Rucker that turns Howard into a wolf. Turns into a wolf yeah. at day or whatever. They can never be and together as humies. Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick is just a sad human. He's a monk <laughs> go between the well, lovers. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, such a weird movie. Maybe he, maybe he was thinking it should have been Matthew Broderick, or like he would. Mel Gibson should have had that part. I don't know. Well, I, maybe he was thinking he should have had the Rucker Howard part, I mean, that's which is a little too. more. I you know. I don't know. I don't think Mel Gibson was playing the nerdy. <laughs> You never know. You never monk. know. He's a good actor, you know. <laughs> casting, casting director Marion Doherty first suggested teaming Gibson with Danny Glover. Uh, Murtaugh in the script had no set ethnicity, so she suggested yeah. him. Yeah, no, she's awesome. Casting director, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. She has casted a lot of his stuff and a lot of other stuff. And, and she know. I mean, it's, it's those kind of magical pairings. Yeah. You know, because who would have thought – Danny Glover wasn't that big. He his biggest thing was uh, 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 Color Purple. Yeah, he had just done that, and and that's because he was actually working on a play, working yeah. on a play in Chicago at the time. But he had, Color Purple was the biggest thing. Right, right. Yeah. I remember the first time I remember Danny Glover was Witness when he played oh, one he of was the, great in that. one of the yeah. bad guys. And he again, I had you remember my old Kevin Bacon story when I saw him, <laughs> I wanted him to be a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. I I really was drawn to Danny Glover and was like, oh, man, I want him to be a good guy. Yeah. I was so bummed when he was a bad guy. <laughs> he got, they got drowned in grain. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's a bad way to go. Very yeah. coffee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not good. So she arranged for Mel Gibson to fly in from his home in Sydney, and Glover was flown in from Chicago to sit down and read through the script. Bruce Willis was actually considered for the Riggs role, uh, which got referenced in the spoof of the Lethal Weapon films, Loaded Weapon yeah. 1, when Bruce appeared as John McClane uh, after the villains attacked the wrong beach residents looking for the protagonist. You got the wrong house. Yeah, yeah. Yippee-ki-yay, Mother Scruncher. <laughs> so, after they sat down, Gibson and Glover, to read the script, according to Donner... It took about two hours, and by the time we were done, I was in seventh heaven. They found innuendos, they found laughter, where I never saw it. They found tears where they didn't exist before. And most importantly, they found a relationship. All in just one reading. So if you ask about casting, it was magical. Just total dynamite, man. Just, just the tits. Okay. <laughs> it, it explains Gibson. This particular story was a cut above the others I had passed on because the action was really sidelined, which heightens the story of these great characters. I picture Riggs as almost Chaplin-esque, yeah, a guy who doesn't accept anything from life and even toys with the idea of taking his own. It's not like these stalwarts who come down from Mount Olympus wreak havoc on the way. He's somebody who doesn't look like he's going to set off until he actually does. And I got, and I, I knew crazy. Uh, the draw for Glover was equally strong. Fresh from his success as Mr. in the Color Purple, he felt the role of Roger Murtaugh offered a whole new range of character expression and experience. He said, Aside from the chance to work with Mel, which turned out to be pure pleasure, one of the reasons I jumped at this project was the family aspect. The chance to play intricate relationships and subtle humor that exist in every close family group was an intriguing challenge and was playing a guy turned 50 
Murtaugh's a little cranky about his age until everything he loves is threatened. His reawakening parallels Riggs. Yeah, he, the big, <laughs> this is what I love about this movie. The big thing, his big line is that he's always, I'm getting too old for getting this. too old for this. He turned 50. Yeah. Well, Adam, I'm feeling like I'm getting a little too old for this. I Well, I get that. I mean, I'm not quite 50 well, and I'm getting there. But too, like, look, well, you know, Adam, think about it. Running around, you know, getting electrocuted, jumping on cars, jumping in well, pools. yeah. Getting, 50's a little old for them yeah. shenanigans. <laughs> I know. I understand. I totally understand. I mean, it would be a lot for anybody. And plus, you know, his career before Riggs was probably just a lot of, yeah. you know, going to the crime scene, <laughs> taking out his little notebook and his, his nice silver cross pen that he got from his wife for one Christmas. Oh, yeah. Writing down the notes, <laughs> eating some donuts, chasing down some leads, you know, before his psycho crazy pants gets, oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, it's so great. Uh, meanwhile, the crucial role of Joshua was settled when Gary Busey asked for a chance to read the part. Busey had won an Oscar for the Buddy Holly story, so he hadn't auditioned for a film in years. Yeah, people forget that Gary Busey has an Oscar. He won an Oscar. Yeah. And, and, it was, and he, he was great in that well movie. Well-deserved. I mean, Well-deserved. I mean, he was amazing as Buddy yeah, Holly. Yeah, Skinny little Buddy Holly. Gary Busey said... I hate butterflies. I never played a bad guy. No one had seen me since I'd lost 60 pounds and got back in shape. But I decided to take the initiative in order to have an opportunity to work with Dick, Joel, Mel, and Danny. I'm constantly looking for someone to pull the best performance out of me, and those guys could. He even talked me into dyeing my hair. But I was fair. Fear, F-E-A-R. Face everything at reality. Okay. Busey says that he was hired to play Joshua because they were looking for someone big and menacing enough to be a believable foe for Mel Gibson. Uh, Busey credits the film for reviving his failing film career. Yeah, Mr. Joshua. Mr. Joshua. I know. Mr. Joshua. Yes. (laughs) It's just so bizarre. Did you kill them, Mr. Joshua? I'm afraid I didn't, sir. Looks like Riggs Murdoch got away. (laughs) We may have a problem, sir. I think the police know what's going on with the Herald. Both Gibson and Glover were signed by early spring 1986. Gibson and Glover then flew home to pack, and upon return began an intensive two months of physical training and preparation. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. You forget how physical that movie is. Yeah. I mean, by the end of it, I'm like, no wonder why he can barely walk. Yeah. This is something else that I love about these movies. You got a guy who all he does is smoke ciggies, and he drinks, and he eats chili, and he lives in his trail. He never works out or anything. No, no. But he can run 75 miles at a full sprint, jumping <laughs> off freeway. You know what I mean? It's he like, can run from the Hollywood Walk of Fame mm-hmm. to the Third Street Bridge, yes. which is downtown. Full sprint. Full sprint in like two minutes. Yes. Uh, oh, man, and nobody runs. Say what you will, buddy. Gibson's the best runner. People say it's... Uh, Cruise. Tom Cruise? Screw Cruise, Tom man. Cruise just runs weird. fast. Yeah, he, yeah, and he and looks he's, like a robot. It's super weird. He's a robot runner, but, but, uh, but man, Gibson's got that bouncy, you know. It's he like, just, yeah, he's a man on purpose. He looks like he could, oh, man. God, he was, he's a good runner. He's Best <laughs> in the business in the 80s. He's a good me. runner. Uh, stunt coordinator Bobby Bass planned and supervised all phases of Gibson's and Glover's intense pre-production training. They had physical conditioning, weight workouts, weapons handling, and safety. Uh, Bass used his own military experiences to bring a greater depth of understanding to the Riggs character. Uh, well, you since know, he was a Vietnam vet. Oh, that's awesome. He failed <laughs> at teaching uh, Gibson how to shoot a gun. Because if you look at Gibson it, when they're in the shooting <laughs> range scene, 
<laughs> Every time he fires his gun, he closes his eyes. Every time. It's, it's, it's instinct. Like, it's like, I mean, that's, you can't well, teach sorry, somebody man. not you to do that. You have to. They, Glover doesn't close his eyes when he's natural. firing his He's gun. natural. But Gibson looks like somebody's <clears throat> popping a... a a plastic bag behind his head every time the gun goes off. <laughs> <laughs> he was a sniper. Maybe that's why. Maybe he's not uh, used to the, the, the pistol. Uh, he he made a smiley face <laughs> with bullets from a thousand <laughs> feet away yeah, with yeah. a pistol by closing his eyes and acting like somebody was slapping his face every time the gun. Oh, hey. Yeah. I'm just saying. When you watch the movie that. again and you see that scene, that is all you'll be able to see. It's it. All you're going to be seeing is soon his like, surprise as blink. Jim Ooh, pointed it out. <laughs> That was it. That's all I could see. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we love this movie. <laughs> we tease what we love. Gibson and Glover spent time in the field accompanying working LAPD officers so they could get some experience. Uh, throughout filming, technical advisors from the LAPD as well as the L.A. County Sheriff's Department worked closely with Dick Donner and the actors to ensure authenticity. Except for the end, where they just let them beat the crap out of each other in a in a yard yeah in reality they would have all been beating the crap out of the subject <laughs> and he would not have been blonde <laughs> oh my uh cedric adams was the first technical advisor brought in uh, richard donner said about adams adams thought the best possible way to show just how lethal rigs really is is to show his mastery of a form of martial arts never before seen on screen. Donner wanted Riggs' style of fighting to be unique, so he chose three unique martial arts styles. Ooh. Gibson and Busey, Busey, sorry, Gibson and Busey. Busey. Gibson and Busey were instructed in capoeira by Adams. Ooh, capoeira. Yeah. Capoeira, the Brazilian, Brazilian dance fighting. Brazilian martial art that combines elements of dance, acrobatics, and music. You know music. Who, who's really into cap, capoeira? Who? Uh, the little girl from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> the Tina? Tina. Tina. Yeah, that's right. The whole Capoeira yeah. episode. Yeah. It was in practice. It was practiced by enslaved Africans in Brazil at the beginning of the 16th century. Uh, there is a styling file called Jailhouse Rock. Thank you very much. Which was uh, taught to them by Dennis Newsom. Uh, Jailhouse Rock, also known as 52 Hand Blocks, is a name used to describe a collection of fighting styles that was practiced or developed within black urban communities in the 1960s and 1970s. It has a mythological origin story of having been originated with the U.S. penal institutions back in the 60s and 70s. That's awesome. Although they they also say that it no way could have because they never would have allowed that in any penal institutions. Sure. Yeah. There's never fighting or anything illegal nope. in penal institutions. Nope. Nobody dies in there. They just stay there. Ah, nobody does drugs uh, or drinks or kills each other. <laughs> and they were taught Brazilian jiu-jitsu by Rorian Gracie. Uh, I believe he's the son of, or the father of, of Hoist Gracie, uh, who was kind of made it MMA? possible. Right. Yeah, he yeah. made it He made it uh, very popular worldwide. Uh, but it's a, it has a lot to do with ground fighting and submission holds. So he, they, they combined all these together to do the big fight at the end. Uh, I did all the research beforehand, and I really thought there was more martial arts in the movie. <laughs> We're kind of desensitized now because everything yeah. is wires and flippity-floopity yeah. and spinny-spins and kicks that everything defies gravity. There were no wires. Yeah. There were just yeah. a couple of approaching middle-aged dudes flip-flopping around on a no, wet No, no. They were lawn. <laughs> just trying as hard as they could to stay but up. But it's still a great fight. Oh, no, it is. It is. It's still a great fight. I mean, you know, it's so – it is so Hollywood. I just – as soon as the car comes – Right, knocks off the, the through the, the house. No, no, no. Oh. that's the fire hydrants. Oh, so now yes. we got the because yeah. it never rains in L.A. We couldn't no, have a rainy no, night. No, no, no. You know, no, so of not. it had to be. Let's just waste a ton of water by knocking over a fire hydrant. But anyway, I knew as soon as that, it's like, oh, 
We're setting the scene, man. It's like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Here's the we got the scene. It's getting all set for this big fight. Uh, Bobby Bass, the stunt coordinator, he was a former U.S. Special, U.S. Army Special Forces instructor and judo champion. Also provided training and various techniques. Uh, the training continued throughout filming, and they they trained for almost four hours a day during shooting. Wow. Well, they because you yeah. had to make it look right. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I said, it's like it's all on screen. You know, and it, it, it definitely is there. Yeah, you de- it definitely. There's a lot of wide shots. Yeah. Donner lets things play out. You True. Know? He shoots a lot, but he lets things play out. He's He's, not, he doesn't put a – yeah. You know, he'll he'll take like a oh, – man, he loves blowing stuff. He loved blowing <laughs> stuff up. He would find out when stuff was blowing up and then gear a scene around it. Like in Lethal – I think it was Lethal Weapon 3, the opening, there's a bomb in this building and they have yeah. to save a cat. Oh, they, yeah. They yeah, 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 yeah. And the building blows up. He was like, oh, you're blowing up a building? Ah. Let's make Lethal Weapon 3. But he just loves big, flashy <laughs> blow-em-ups, man. That's why I love him. He's just a big kid. The guy was one of the last big kid directors, just a lovable teddy bear who loved working and getting stuff done. You you worked with him, right? No. It's so funny. All of my friends did. All of them oh, really? had jobs with him. <laughs> um, so I knew him an- ancillary. I got to meet him a few times, and I got to go to his house a bunch. Which is in the movie. Yeah, yeah. His, the pool where the guy gets all caught up in the pool cover. With the two – yeah, the two ladies, and he yeah. shoots at them. Yeah. And, uh, that's his pool. That's Donner's pool. That's his and house. Carport. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. And yeah. above, they didn't – of course, they didn't show it. But on the <laughs> – you know, it's up in the Hollywood Hills, and up in the, hi- up, up in the mountain part. There's this giant Superman busting through oh, nice. the, uh, the, mountain. the mountain. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I saw the original El Mariachi there on, like, wow. a videotape before anybody knew. Because oh, they were wow. like, you wow. got to check this kid out. Oh, wow. This Rodriguez wow. kid. He's something special. So, you know, <laughs> and it was just really cool. And he was very friendly. You know, he was always just like, who's in my – But anyway, you know, everybody that worked for him loved him, my friends. Yeah. You know, my, my f- uh, friend Sean got into the – camera union because of him. Oh, nice, uh, nice. You know, he, he worked on so many of his movies. He worked on Maverick. He worked on wow. uh, Conspiracy. Con- was it Theory. Theory? Conspiracy Theory? Yeah. A bunch of his stuff in, in, the, in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Darren, who uh, was my writing partner for a while, he worked for Dick uh, and then worked for Brian Helgeland, who also oh, worked Oh, really? Dick. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they, they, were, they wanted to help young guys and girls and they wanted to give them opportunities and all these guys that did work with them went on to better stuff. He treated them all great. He was tough, but fair, but he was just, you know, he, he loved the business. He loved making movies. He loved his wife. Yeah. They had such a cool, subtle way. I mean, it got less and less subtle with each movie, but (laughs) even starting with the first one, if you look in the background, there's Mm -hmm. anti-apartheid stickers, you know, they talk about, don't eat tuna because of the dolphins. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like they're more and more throughout his movies. They got more. That's that's more uh, that's a little <laughs> that's a little bit of Lauren, more him, oh, Lauren yeah, Schuler's yeah. influence. But uh, but yeah, just just some of the best of Hollywood. Yeah, was Dick yeah. Like old, he was kind of the bridge of the old to the new. A guy who knew how to make good pictures, you know, <laughs> and 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 really defined. A lot of genres defined the superhero genre was was Superman. Yeah, the the kids with Goonies. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. The the buddy cop movie with Lethal Weapon. You know that yeah. Lethal Weapon. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, no, he's yeah. He yeah. was he was seminal. Like it was it was definitely we wouldn't have Hollywood we have now if it, it wasn't for him. For me, it was just so it's it's it was so cool 
Because I love Lethal Weapon. Mm. And, and, you know, it was funny because I love Lethal Weapon, man. I saw, like, the first one when I was in high school and, mm. you know, the second other two in college. And I love those movies. And it was just neat to, like, be a part, not be a part of it, but also be a part. Like, know the guys. Yeah, and Know yeah. the guys. And yeah. get to meet, you know, be in the offices and be on the sets. Yeah. And it was just such a good time. It was such a good dude. And it was really sad when he passed. Yeah. Because he was going to direct the new one. No. Oh, but yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about it later. But I just yeah. wanted to say, you know, no BS. That guy was was a hell of a dude. And, yeah, uh, makes me sad. Yeah. He's, he's he's the kind of guy that you want to know. You exactly. Sit down and hang yeah. Out with. yeah. One of the guys that you need more of in Hollywood. Yeah. You know? He also would put everybody in the movies. Yeah. All of his assistants <laughs> and you know all these people would just show up in these little parts. Like his uh, his cousin, who was the chief police chief. Yeah. Who yeah. looked exactly like like him, him. and it was. In all of his movies. Yeah, yeah. He, Literally all yes. of his movies. And the woman that played the psychiatrist, she was in most of his movies. Oh, God, what was her name? Um, uh, anyway. She was yeah. in all the Lethal Weapon yeah. movies, and they made her part bigger she was, and bigger. She was the... Um, she was the reporter, reporter in Die Hard. Reporter in Die Hard, that's mm-hmm. right. I forget her name. Or the but, anchor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was very loyal, very loyal guy, you yeah. know, and, and just loved to work and loved to have fun. Yeah. You know, and, and same with Gibson back then. He was also a guy that loved to have fun on set. Yeah. So, you know, working with those two guys, it was almost too much because they'd always be joking and pranking and stuff. <laughs> I mean, you got to get stuff done. But, uh, but yeah. My, yeah, my, we're just shooting a picture. It's fine. Yeah. There was a show called Justice, and I worked on the one season it had. And there was a director. He, he directed, like, two or three episodes of the 13 we did. And every time before he rolled, he's like, this isn't rocket science people. We're just making movies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> He just had fun. It was just fun. It's got to be so much pressure to make these big, big movies. Yeah. You're giving tons of money, but you got to make tons of money. Right. right. Or you're not going to get tons of money. No. So a lot of these guys just become tyrants because they're so afraid of failing. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's just a guy who is given a bunch of money to make a huge sandbox to play in and just wants to play. And that guy was a kid and loved to play until until he died. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, he was a good man. He was a good man. Uh, Michael Kamen, who just completed work on Highlander. Your favorite movie. <laughs> composed the score for Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I can't wait for the Highlander episode. Yes, there can be only one. Adam. I don't know if you can hear the sarcasm in my voice. <laughs> uh, the guitar part of Riggs' theme was performed by Eric Clapton before he went crazy. Uh, <laughs> Kamen and Clapton had worked together on the music for the 1985 BBC TV series Edge of Darkness, which, interestingly, in, interestingly enough, the feature adaptation would later by coincidence star Mel Gibson. Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood's a weird one. It is. <laughs> the saxophone part of Murtaugh's theme was performed by David Sanborn. Oh, David Sanborn. People forget. Saxophone was king in the 80s. Yeah. You could not have a movie without a saxy solo. To the point where, like, pff, you I, look at Lost Boys, baby. Look at Jeffrey Bohm's yeah. Lost Boys. And, oh, and man. That big old, that sexy man with Seven that minutes hair of and big old arms. Yeah. Everybody loved it. I played the saxophone in college. I learned just enough saxophone. To try to impress my dates. Wow. And I would I would go out, man, this is so lame. <laughs> I would I would take my saxophone up on the roof of my apartment in Boston in the snowstorm and just play. It was it was like reenacting uh oh god, what's that awful brat pack movie? Um uh, St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, ah, it was like me reenacting St. Elmo's Fire on a Boston rooftop with all my neighbors like, shut up, because it'd be like, <laughs> okay, hold on, wait a minute. Okay. Oh, wait, oh, no, okay. Nope, nope, that's not it. 
I was awful. <laughs> the Christmas song Jingle Bell Rock, performed by Bobby Helms, is played during the film's opening credits, and the closing credits is uh, by a band called Honeymoon Suite with a song called Lethal Weapon, even though they did not get credit for it. It was not listed in the Weird. Movie. Super weird. I don't know why. I don't either. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about the release and all the sequels and all the fun stuff. Nice. Hey, this is uh, Random. Whenever I'm outside of the communists, I'm listening to the Jerry's Files, which you will hear. It's not my spot of that. They took his legs. New episodes every Friday. All celebrity voices are poorly impersonated. So, when it was released on March 6th in 1987, it was number one at the box office for three weeks before Blind Date took the top spot. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bruce Willis was pretty popular he was. from a, a show called Moonlighting. Yes, yes. He kind of came out of nowhere. He was one of those guys that just appeared yeah. and then became a star. Like uh, God, who we were just talking about that did that. Or like Jonathan Majors, mm-hmm. who just suddenly is in everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. These guys that just transcend. You know, look, he had been around doing, yes. you know, grunt, you know, he'd been he, a bartender and working his ass off for his, a while. He so did his due diligence. These yeah. quote unquote overnight successes. <laughs> but, but an overnight success in the way that they go from zero to a hundred, you know, within such yeah. a short amount of time. Yeah. Once yeah. they hit, they hit hard. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly it's like, yeah, it's just it's a, a very and we I said this last time, but like it's just interesting to me how it's like they'll just do little things and little things, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden five other things become huge. Yeah, and it's like yeah, because yeah. they kind of get cast around. It's also because projects take a while yeah, to yeah. finish, and then coincidentally enough, they have four projects out at the same time. Right. You know, right. which is good and bad. It's good because you know. You're getting some recognition. You're getting some right. ching ching, but it's bad because you might get overexposed and people get sick of you. Yeah, and then they don't want you to be in anything. Uh, like, yeah, Chris Pratt. I was just gonna say like Chris <laughs> Pratt. <laughs> take a hint, Chris Pratt. Maybe take a little vacation. Uh, so Lethal Weapon ended up grossing 120.2 million dollars worldwide. Nice. Uh, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Sound Mixing, but it lost The Last Emperor. Mm. A so, lot of things lost to the last Emperor yeah, that, that year. Yeah, that won a lot. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I think it had the most wins or most nominations or something. I'm not I sure. I don't remember. Um, it was one of those before I think Titanic did, did came in with like 14 nominations or whatever. Uh, it's widely considered to be one of the best buddy cop films of all time, influencing oh, yeah. numerous buddy cop films such as Hot Fuzz, Tango and Cash, Bad Boys, and the Rush Hour series, and everything. Anything that has two men or women I even really is – it's any buddy cop. Is Let's be honest. The real impetus for all of this is Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. 100%. Sure. Starsky and Hutch, let's give props where props are due. They were the first love story of two <laughs> cops falling in love. Because yeah. that's what all these are. These are all heterosexual love stories. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, are, are two guys. They're, they're meat cutes. Yeah. You know, and I then mean, they. Yeah. It's, it's 100%. Gun! Just, yeah. <laughs> this is how guys watch love stories. Yeah. They like watching love stories between two dudes becoming best buds. They want to be best friends. Because we all just want a buddy. We- <laughs> yeah, I mean, a perfect example of that is after Riggs comes over to Murtaugh's house, and, and they both come out to the car, and they're having that quiet moment. Yeah. And he's like, so did you really like my wife's cooking? Did you really like my wife's cooking? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> he gets in the car and drives away, and he just smiles wistfully at him. Yeah. yeah. Riggs. Roger. <laughs> Riggs. Roger. <laughs> they killed a Roger. They killed Riggs. 
Uh, our, an alternate opening and ending were both filmed, and they can be seen on the Lethal Weapon 4 DVD. Uh, the alternate opening featured Martin Riggs drinking alone in a bar where he's arrested, or sorry, he's accosted by a couple of thugs who attack him for his money, but they're easily subdued by yeah. Riggs. You know, it's not as good opening. It's not like it, it's not as good a introduction as his butt. <laughs> his his for the ladies uh, and some gents. <laughs> hey man, that yeah, guy whatever, had whatever psh, boat, yeah. a good butt. He did, man. That guy, he had it going on. He was like, he was very in shape. Yes, and <laughs> he was at the time like the sexiest dude. And he had so much hair. Oh yeah. my god, he's a hairy dude. So much. I mean, just it, it like was like four feet off his head. Like it was huge. Well, he's a, he's not a tall man. So they had to give him with a little volume, yeah, <laughs> to give him, give him some hair. Uh, Dick Donner felt that the film should open with a brighter look at Riggs and replace the bar scene with the scene in which he awakens in the trailer and is naked. Which I don't know how that's it's a, not that brighter. brighter. <laughs> he's hacking up. He's got a cigarette in his mouth. He's coughing. Because uh, it shows he has a dog. Yeah. Is that lighter? It's, it's his family. Yeah. What's with – okay. <laughs> Let's just talk about the weirdness that is uh, how we meet Murtaugh. Which is his whole family busting in while he's taking a bath. He's taking a bath. I would never who want to hang out with my dad or stepdad or any never. family member while they're in the bathtub. Yeah, I'll wait till you're done, then we'll talk. It's a weird close family. It is. It, my neighbors were like that. And now the dad hey. is in jail. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, hey, maybe I'm the prude, you know? No. <laughs> he is in jail. It's just, like, there's nothing wrong with nudity or anything. It's just, I don't want to be naked around my folks. Or yeah, I don't no, want my folks no. naked around me, man. No, that doesn't make me weird. No, no that's normal. Oh, that is so, normal. Yeah. So the alternate ending featured Riggs telling Murtaugh not to retire. Uh, without even thinking about the possibility of sequels, Donner decided that Riggs and Murtaugh's relationship is one of friendship and love. Yes, and, because that's what the, the whole point of the movie is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, um, the fact that he gives him the bullet at the end is great. It's just great yeah, symbolism. It's, a, it's great, you know. Brings it all back. Yeah. It's like he saved him. He helped him realize that there's yeah, purpose. Yeah, exactly. He's got, he, his whole life didn't end when his wife died. No, you know? no. In a car accident, which we find out in sequels, <laughs> wasn't an accident at all. Oh, oh that's right. That's yeah, right. Baby. I, haven't I know the whole lore. In forever. Oh, man. Mm. So okay, oh. there was, uh, in addition to the film's theatrical release, there was an extended director's cut version that was re- later released on DVD. Uh, the director's cut's seven minutes longer, features additional scenes, like uh, one depicting Riggs dispatching a sniper who had been firing at children in a playground. What? That's, what? <laughs> it just seems unnecessary. Uh, another scene, Riggs picks, picks up a street-walking prostitute, but instead of having sex with her, he takes her home to watch The Three Stooges on TV, illustrating his loneliness following the death of his wife. Yeah. Well, whatever. And and it, actually, in that scene, it would make sense that he does the Three Stooges thing with the uh, at the Coke deal, and he they, goes crazy. They still well, that? maybe it's in the second one, but they, there's still like a a shot of him watching the Stooges with the dog. Oh, it, it maybe. Oh, yeah, I think maybe. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they changed it to him watching the Stooges with his dog rather than right. a prostitute. <laughs> So the movie was successful enough to spawn three sequels, uh, Lethal Weapon 2, Lethal Weapon 3, and Lethal, Lethal Weapon 4. Lethal Weapon 2 yeah. is arguably a better movie. Lethal Weapon 2, to me, is a sequel that surpasses the first. And the reason yeah. why I say this controversial <laughs> statement is because the relationship was already established. 
And they didn't do yeah. a thing where it's like, oh, now they're not friends anymore. Right. They got to become friends again. Right. Oh, doogie. Which is the worst. I hate that lazy, lazy trope more than anything. Yeah. Which is like, oh, we, we, we built up this amazing friendship in the first movie. Let's destroy it for the second one and build it up again because that worked so well the first time. F you. That's <laughs> stupid and lazy. This yeah. one, they're yeah. buds and they, you know, there's still some tension between them. But it's sure. you know it's like a married couple tension. Yeah, and in the and it, the smartest thing they did was bring in Joe Pesci yeah. as Leo Getz. <laughs> Leo wants Leo Getz. They f you in the drive through. <laughs> f you in the drive. But such a great chemistry the three of them. Yeah, and yeah. Pesci playing. I love when Pesci doesn't play a tough guy. I like when he's a vulnerable, you know, because he's like a wannabe tough guy in this, but he's. Yeah. He's just, he gets, like, so tossed around by them. You know, it's just so funny. It's so good. I don't know. To me, that movie surpasses the first. Wow, okay. I love them both, but I will pay, I will take two ahead of one just as a pure good time. All right, all right. And I like the villains better. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Uh, three, was three the one that they brought in Rene Russo? Yes. Okay. Three... Wasn't as good. Three got a little too preachy. It yeah. was about corrupt cops, mm. and there was this whole subplot with one of Riggs, with Riggs, uh, with Murtaugh's son. Uh, one of his buddies was a gang kid. Oh, that's he gets right. Killed. Yeah. yeah, it's just a bit of a downer. It wasn't as fun. Yeah, and the in the in the villains were crap. The whole bad oh, cop yeah. villains yeah. Were, were, weren't exciting. There was some fun stuff in it, right. but it just. Missed the mark. It was the it was the the shine was coming off the bullet on that one. Yeah, and then they made four, which that was the one that had Jet Li was the villain. Yes, and I loved it. And it also <laughs> had Chris Rock as the future son. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Murtai was engaged to his uh, uh, daughter. Yeah, and they have that amazingly funny scene with uh, Benny, and uh, they're at the dentist. And they're all on the gas, and they're all <laughs> laughing, and there's like, and 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 they're not supposed to tell. Uh, uh, spoiler alert for a 25 year old movie: they're not supposed to tell Danny Glover that his daughter's pregnant, preggies, yeah. pregnant, and so. But they put on the gas. Yeah, they're it's on like, the gas. Yeah, my baby's having your baby. Your baby's having my baby. It's just so. It was just fun, man. It got back to the fun. Yeah. It was about, you know, it's this huge family. It was, again, it made it about family in okay. a really fun way. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I just, I the fact that it was uh, a much older Mel Gibson holding his own against Jet Li, I thought was kind of laughable. But well, Jet Li wasn't that young either. That's true. At that point. But he was badass. And he and didn't was... really hold his own. Jet Li kicked the <laughs> crap did, out of did. him. He did. He did. You know? I yeah. mean, it was, they played off of that, too. I mean, it was, true. he was starting to get too old yeah. for that stuff. You know? Yeah. It's like, it had come, it was a fun, watch it again if you haven't seen it, because I really believe it was a fun movie. And, okay. and it kind of had the whole, Rene Russo was great. Yeah. She was such a good foil for him. And it just seemed like they were all, maybe it was, look, for a big super fan, it was it might have been a little goofy for other people, whatever. But for me, it was just fun to see the gang back together, having a good time. Yeah, and it, it yeah. was not as 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 dark as number as third. 
Right, right. As number third. Number third. Uh, so Lethal Weapon was released in 1998, and that was the last thing that was done. There was some video games released. There was a, in conjunction with the third movie, uh, Amiga, Atari, PC, DOS, NES, Game Boy, and Commodore 64 versions were released in 1992, oh. which I was interesting that the Commodore 64 was still releasing games in 1992. Yeah. It had a life, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought Do you was, know what kind of, what was it? It was a, like a side-scroller game. Oh, really? Yeah. Like yeah, a yeah. shoot em up beat em yeah, up Yeah, yeah. Like uh, it was actually people complained about it because it, it was apparently much easier to kick people than it was to shoot people. Hey, and that's rigged, and it baby. was much more powerful. <laughs> so, but apparently the game is really hard. Like it's Ooh. a very difficult game. There was an uh, arcade version that was released in 1993 that was ported to the Super Nintendo that same year. Uh, but it was I the seem same. to recall that one. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, kind of, I kind of. I, I can't imagine me not playing it. Right, right, right. Being a super fan, <laughs> we would get a lot of. Merch for free. Like, I had all the Lethal oh. Weapon movies on uh, LaserDisc. Oh, nice. Nice. And all the Donner stuff on LaserDisc. Nice. Goonie, they would just be like, they'd have piles of crap in the office, and one of my roommates would be like, here. Take it. Take it. Here. Just take, take it. The stuff. Uh, on January 19th, 2011, Warner Brothers announced plans to reboot the Lethal Weapon franchise without Danny Gibson yeah. and Michael. No, Who's Danny, Danny Gibson? Gibson? <laughs> Michael Glover? I don't know who these people are. <laughs> Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. <laughs> Danny Gibson and Michael Glover. <laughs> Don't know who those people are. <laughs> Maybe that's who's going to be in the yeah, new reboot. Yeah, those reboot. were the new actors. Yeah, strange uh, coincidentally enough. The the new franchise was set to feature the same characters, but a brand new cast. Uh, Will Dumb. Will Beale was hired to write the script, but it was eventually canceled. Yep. Yeah, it, it it just seemed like a bad idea. That's the whole point of Lethal Weapon is the chemistry between those two actors. Yeah. You know. That's what makes it work. Yeah. And uh, as evidenced by the fact that there was a television version, which that eventually that turned into the television version, the, the script that was uh, came Which out. I heard was not too bad. It came out in 2016, had three uh, seasons. It started Clean Crawford as, as Riggs, Damon Wayans as Murtaugh, and Tom Lennon as Leo Getz. They had to fire Mr. Uh, Riggs. Uh, yeah. He apparently was a bit of a bad person. Yeah. He was a <laughs> lot of a bad person. Uh, yeah, he was and, not a good person. And that's the thing. Here's the thing. No, but what happened was they had to replace him, and then that's, you know, it's the show. Yeah, that was, that was it. Yeah. yeah. I think it went one season without him in it. Yeah. Or... I checked it out. I'm a fan of Lethal Weapon. So I was like, I'll check it out. It, was, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't Lethal Weapon. Right. I like Damon Wayans. I, I think he's I, great. I like Damon Wayans. I like Tom Lennon. So yeah. Like, I, I didn't know Clint Crawford at all. But it was just one of those, I was like, eh. He was fine. Eh. Yeah. Until we found out he was a monster. <sighs> <laughs> They're all fine. What is it with seems that Seems to be part? an ongoing yeah. thing with... <laughs> Riggs can't seem to keep it together. Maybe uh, maybe it's the curse of Martin Riggs. Uh, well... Don't yeah. play that part, Adam. I know you've been offered it several I, times. I had to turn it down because I knew about the curse. Yes. You're like, I'm not playing... You can't get me to... I'm too old for this ass. I'm going to turn into someone I don't want to be. Yeah. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, on November 15th, Mel Gibson confirmed that he's in talks to direct and star in the fifth Lethal Weapon film. I'm excited. Uh, he said he was he would be helming it to, to honor Richard... Or Dick Donner. Uh, yeah. Dick was supposed to direct it bef- in, before he died. Yeah, that yeah. He was prepping it. He was getting it together. Yeah. That's, God, that's too bad. I would have really yeah. liked to have seen that. I mean, have also... Yeah. Gibson will be good. I mean, he's a good director. So Gibson's like, a great director. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. see, look, he is a very talented dude. He's a very complicated guy, and he's got yes. some demons that aren't good, that aren't acceptable. You know, that kind yeah. of stuff yeah. isn't acceptable. But it seems like, you know, if he's doing the work to get past that, 
then I applaud him. I don't know. You know I hope I, so. You yeah, know, it I really seems hope so. He's been working again. I don't think that we should judge somebody on their worst day or their best day. Right, right. There's a lot of days in between. And everybody makes mistakes. If he pays for his mistakes, then that's good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Then I think I think we can forgive people if they learn from what they do. As long as they're willing to work on it and yeah, be better yes, people. Look at like I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. You know? And, 100%. and again, <laughs> I mean, God, Robert Downey Jr., he woke up naked in a girl's bed. Yes. He was in a house and, that wasn't his own. And strangely enough, one of the people that really helped him get his shit together was Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. yeah and I, I'm not a Mel Gibson apologist. I get it if you're like, I hate him. I'll never watch anything he does. I totally get that. He's also a very talented artist. And unfortunately, yeah. Our favorite artists are often complicated people with complicated lives. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lethal Weapon 5 is going to be written by Richard Wink. Uh, he wrote The Equalizer and uh, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Um, nice. I mean, The that's, Equalizer, that's, yeah. the, the, the new Equalizer movie with um, Denzel? Denzel Washington is incredible. Yeah, no, Absolutely it's Absolutely incredible. It is great. And uh, what was the other thing? Uh, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, the sequel. Yeah, the, yeah. the Jack Reacher movies, even though... <laughs> Tom Cruise horribly miscast. Sure. Jack Reacher would use Tom Cruise's toothpick. Um, <laughs> they're still good movies. Still well written. Yeah. If you don't if you're not a fan of the books, then you can enjoy them with a Yeah, a yeah, of course. Of course. A quarter of the size of what Jack Re- <laughs> Jack Reacher's hands are described as dinner plates. Yeah. You know? And Christmas turkeys. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like his fist is the size of a Christmas turkey. He, he could it's put, like, yeah. He could put Tom Cruise's entire – engulf his entire Literally head in his giant ham hands. Pick him up and put him in his pocket. But I digress. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I think it could be good. You It'll know? be – it's going to be exclusively released on HBO Max, uh, so it's not going to get a theatrical release. Uh, I, it really seems like Gibson good. is doing it to, to just be like, this is what Donner wanted. Let's just finish it and, and finish the story. I think it's going to be a love letter to the fans, yeah. a love letter to Donner. I, I love that it's only on HBO Max, so there's not a lot of pressure to have to, like, jam a lot of crap in there to, right. you know, satisfy executives and release dates and box office right. receipts and stuff. So I think we could have a fun little end to a great series of movies. Regardless of your politics or any of that stuff, these are fun movies. Yeah. And, and if you like the cop genre, if you like buddy cops, if you like watching straight guys fall in love... <laughs> <laughs> and then this become this, best friends. These are the movies. <laughs> yeah. This is as close as you could get to like a homosexual relationship in the eighties. Yeah. Is, yeah. is, uh, is two cop buddies. But, uh, but so, yeah, man. So the question is, is it a Christmas movie? Okay. Yes. 100%. It's a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie because it takes place during Christmas. There's Christmas songs in it. There's it a Christmas tree in it. There's Christmas dinner in it. He drives that car right through the Christmas tree. <laughs> yes. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yes. Anytime there's Christmas stuff, it's – look, we were talking about – we were watching the movie, and we were talking about Shane Black, and we were wondering if he made any movies that didn't take place during Christmas. And I think there were a couple. One or two. Yeah. But mostly, yes. <laughs> but So any Shane Black movie is a Christmas movie. You yeah. Know? He loves Christmas. He just really likes that time of the year, apparently. Yeah. Look, Chitty, I was going to say, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's a really famous Shane Black movie. Uh, that's such a good movie, too. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke. Oh, yeah. Um, but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss Iron Bang Man Bang 3. I think, well, no, even Last Action Hero. We talked about this. Even yeah. Last Action Hero, I think, has Christmas stuff. I think it. so. Yeah. Mate, it's been a while. 
I think it does. I think it does because the, the whole screen. The Get to the tree. Thing. Watch out for the tree. Which I love Last Action Hero. Yeah, it's great. It's a way better movie than people give it credit for. What do you think? Who's on the Schwarzenegger? It has such a great concept. I, it's just such a great concept. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Shane Black is fantastic. Uh, I think the last movie he did was The Predator, which definitely was not set during no, Christmas. No, it was but, not uh, good. And it was not very good. Uh, I really liked... The Nice Guys? I loved The Nice Guys. I yeah. loved it. It was true to form with him. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, same. Fantastic I love his detective stuff. Movie. Yeah. Uh, I loved Iron Man 3. It was, was my so favorite of the Iron Man movies. Agreed. I thought it was such a great FU to the Marvel fans because he was never really in his suit. <laughs> Finally, this was the greatest thing because the first two movies are just all about making suits. Yeah. I'm making suits. Yeah. I'm going to make 75 suits. And I'm no, but I'm a bad guy. I'm going to make a bad guy suit to fight your good guy suit. We're just going to make suits. Suits, suits, suits. And then Shane Black comes in and is like, F your suits. He's just going to sit around and be sad with a little boy the entire movie. No suits for you. And then all the suits blow up at the end. <laughs> yeah, so then he kills all the suits. Oh, man. I, that's why I love Shane Black, because he's just like, F you, Marvel fans. It was a great movie. It was a great movie. All right, well, we're out of time. So uh, any closing thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, we're getting too old for that. Uh, <laughs> closing thoughts. Fun movies. Great relationship with these two guys. Danny Glover is one of my favorite actors uh, of all time. So fantastic. Uh, he and Mel have this great chemistry. Dick Donner is an amazing director. Do yourself a favor. Watch the first one. Definitely watch the second one. It's a great double feature. Uh, maybe do your laundry while you're watching the third one or something. <laughs> and then watch the fourth one. I mean, they're all really good movies, you yeah, know? And, yeah. and the first two are great to watch around Christmas. Mm-hmm. You're going to be spending a lot of time with friends and family. You're going to have to come up with some creative ways to hang out together. So we're giving you some great double features. Yeah. You know, totally. uh, what would be a good lethal sandwich? Okay, if the lethals are the bread, what do we throw in as a palate cleanser in the middle as the meat of our lethal night? It's got to be, I would say, something like a, it has to be like a TV thing, um, you know, or something shorter. We're looking like. You know, a half hour, 45 minute palate cleanser between movies. You know what I would watch? I would watch Looney Tunes. I would pick there you go. Uh, a few Looney Tunes, maybe even their, because uh, I'm pretty sure they did uh, a Scrooge. It's on, it's on actually. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's on the TV on Lethal Weapon. They did a, oh, that's a, a right. Christmas yeah. Carol. Watch the Looney Tunes Christmas Carol in between the two Lethal Weapon go. movies, and you got yourself a perfect night sandwich with your families. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, next week for a For the Stepdad show. Yeah, we're going to do some recommendations of some video games we've been playing and some movies and TV shows we've been streaming. Stuff to get your pals. Stuff, again, to watch with your family when you can't stand speaking with them anymore. Yeah, when you need some time away. Yeah, we're going to help you out. The old old uncles at Gen X Files are going to help make the holidays bright, better, and saner. Yeah, we'll we'll pepper in a few personal stories as well as we talk about our recommendations. Yep. Uh, but we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Plus, we gotta, gotta love it. <laughs> <laughs> We now return you to your regularly scheduled program, The Six Billion Dollar Man, already in progress.